0: Oh, I say it every time, but my goodness, there is always the sweet presence of Jesus in this room when you guys have chapel. God is so good. God is so faithful. And I really want the message that I'm sharing with you this morning to be caught, to be caught in your hearts and for you to never forget it. I have no clue how long or short it's going to be. A lot of what I want to say has, has not been typed out. So, I usually write messages and I type everything out like verbatim, right? This one's just one that's kind of like boiling over. So, I don't know how it's going to come out. So, just let's flow in the Holy Ghost today. Amen. And if we get down super early, we'll just all just lay out on the altars. Come on. God is faithful. God is good. I always want you to remember that as you pursue this Bible college education. And remember, you're doing it for the audience of one. And a lot of that, the idea of that is going to tie into my message today on identity. Okay? And the main passage of scripture is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. So I want to talk about identity today and how that ties into who you are as a born again, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost believer, as well as now the works that you do that have been prepared in advance for you to do. Amen? So let's read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, oh, I want to pray first. Let me pray before we read this passage. Lord, I thank you for today. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and direct and guide every word that I will preach. I ask for open hearts to receive, to be transformed, to be open, God, to what you are saying. Give us ears to hear with the Spirit Eyes to see in the spirit, and I pray that we will not walk out of this room the same way that we walked in. We want to be changed from glory to glory. We want to look like you. We want to talk like you. We want to walk like you. And I ask, oh Lord, that that people this morning would be set free, set free from the wrong understanding of who they are in you, set free from the wrong understanding of what it means to do good works. I ask, oh Lord, that freedom would reign in this place today, that shackles would be broken off of their, off of their um, hearts and their mindsets today, God, and be free to be who you've called them to be, free according to what your word says. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Somebody say, used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So the spirit of the devil is at work in those who are what? Those who are disobedient. He has no hold over your life unless you give him a foothold. That is the life we used to live. We have been set free and delivered from that life. Amen. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We don't gratify the desires of our flesh anymore and follow the thoughts of our flesh. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, somebody say but, because of his great love for us. Say his great love for me. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So where are you seated right now? In the heavenly realms. In the spirit realm. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The reason why he did that was so that in this age we can display, we can display the riches of Christ expressed in his kindness to us, expressed in the kindness of salvation, that the fact that he saved us. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We all understand that, right? Salvation is through faith, by faith with grace. We don't earn it, we do nothing to earn it. The wages of sin is death. You have to. You get wages. You get paid. You got to work your way into hell. You work hard to go to hell. You get paid a wage, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is a gift that we don't work for, amen? And let me pause right there before I read the next verse, because that's where everybody wants to just stop. I don't have to do anything for Jesus because I'm saved by grace. And then, you know, it's kind of like a, it's like a, a lazy card. So now that you're saved, now you don't do anything, but you worked your butt off to live for the devil. And now that you're saved, you just twiddle-D your thumbs through life and still live broke, broke, busted, and disgusted and do nothing for the kingdom. That's not the point. Because the verse right after him telling us that we're not saved by works says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So now let's think about identity. What do we understand about who we are in Christ? We understand that Jesus made it possible by dying on the cross, raising again on the third day, resurrection life came into him. And because of that, we have been set free, forgiven of our sins. The blood of Jesus has washed us clean, and we are saved by grace because we believed, right? So we receive the gift, but now what do we do? What do we do with this gift of salvation? What what do we look like now? How do we act as sons and daughters of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God, right? We've been adopted into his family. How does the family of God look And act like, well, we have to do good works. They've been already planned and prepared in advance for us to do. So when you think of identity, you have to understand that it is the foundation of your walk with the Lord. If you don't know who you are and who God is and who you are in God, you're going to walk through life in confusion. Okay, The foundation of all we will ever accomplish for the Lord, the foundation of your walk with Jesus, the foundation of your prayer life, the foundation of all that you want to do in ministry, of how you will parent one day, your marriage, all of that stems from the understanding of your identity in him. When you understand your identity, you will not walk in confusion and you will know who you are, and what he's called you to do. Amen? And the reason why we're even able to have an identity in him is because of his great love. You read that in Ephesians. We were all these things as sinners before we were saved. Like the rest, we were deserving of wrath. Everybody who is not saved right now and has accepted the free gift of salvation, they're all deserving of wrath, right? But because of his great love for us, God came, made us alive with Christ. And we accepted it. 1 John 3, 1 through 2. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. John three sixteen. For God so what? loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do we understand that God is rich in love and mercy and kindness? But that's what the world is rejecting. See, the world is confused with their identity today because they're not in him. The only way you can have the proper identity that God created from the beginning, because we were all created in his image, We all, in our DNA, have the identity of being a son and daughter of God. Amen? The reason why it was skewed was because of sin. Adam and Eve, you guys know the story, right? So everybody out there does not understand that their identity is still to be in Christ. So they're walking around confused. And as you can see, the mass confusion and nonsense that we are in as a society with homosexuality and transgenderism and all this nonsense we don't know our right from our left. Why? Because we're rejecting God. We're rejecting our Creator. Okay, so if we do not understand our identity in Christ, we will find ourselves continually seeking the approval of man, continually being a man pleaser, and then we'll crumble every time at the sound of their critiques and their correction. That's what I want you to guard your hearts from. Hide yourself in Jesus. Okay? If you're seeking the approval of man and everything that you're doing, you're gonna burn out. You're not doing it for the people around you. You're not doing it for your leaders. You're not doing it for your 101 leader. You're doing it for Jesus. If you only feel good when you are praised and when you're encouraged, but you feel horrible after you're corrected or rebuked, something's not right, okay? Our identity is in Jesus. And if we're truly walking out a relationship with him, a genuine relationship with him where you're spending time with the Lord in prayer and you're worshiping him and you're allowing him to bring things up to the surface, then you won't fear man because he's already told you. And then when a leader has to come to you and tell you stuff, you will be humble. You'll be like, dude, Lauren, I God just told me that. I am so sorry. But see, I think a lot of you, and I don't want to get ahead of myself in this Uh, passage because I'm going to be talking about the spirit of fear too many of you have allowed fear to cripple your heart when you're being approached by a leader maybe you could do things a little bit better and then it just completely paralyzes you that's not what leaders are here to do we are here to help you draw closer to Jesus and because you have been saved because you're filled with the Holy Ghost you should long to be in God's presence Because that's how you are going to cultivate the relationship and understand who you are in him. You're going to be able to receive better what leaders are saying, and you won't allow the enemy to bring confusion. See, when you are truly living for God and righteousness and holiness, which is a part of your identity, we are the righteousness in Christ, and you're living an authentic walk with him, everything else is going to to flow. The works that you've been called to do are going to be out of the joy of your heart. This is what happens over time. People get burned out by doing the good works we've been prepared in advance to do because it becomes their idol. So now instead of our eyes and our focus being on Jesus and loving God, and loving people, and being broken for, for the loss, and wanting people to get saved, and be set free, and experience what, what we've, we've seen God do in our life, everything becomes a chore like slavery. So we, we enslave ourselves again because we don't understand in our mindset that the good works before us to do like spending time with the Lord or you know living an honest life, coming early, staying late, you know, pursuing Bible college, getting A's and not F's, right? Good works, doing things in excellence, tithing, just the, the general practical things that we're supposed to do as believers, we become enslaved to them instead of walking free. because now our focus is on doing that. That becomes our idol. People make idols out of ministry all the time. And it messes us up. We have to remember that we have been saved, not by works. But because we have been saved, we do those works. It's not on your own strength. It has to be by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's when burnout happens. One too many hospital visits, one too many prayers at the altar, praying at the altar for people, praying for people to be saved, praying for people to be filled with the Holy Ghost, casting out devils, should not burn us out. It should burn us up. Why in the world would it be coming to church, doing ministry and praying for deliverance and preaching the gospel of salvation ever burn us out? Something happens in our identity with Christ where Jesus takes the back seat and now we start driving the car and we do it all in our own strength. The power of God that was exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead is in each and every one of us. Resurrection power of life. Resurrection power to do the good works he's prepared for us to do. Do you have the power of God on your life to do things in excellence? Absolutely. Do you have the power of God in your life to live righteously and not in a cycle of sin? Absolutely. Do you have the resurrection power of God in your life to get A's, to apply yourself? Absolutely. God said he will never leave you and never forsake you. Amen? So I want to encourage you, keep drawing close to Jesus. At this season of your life, as Bible college students, you have your hands in so much. Can I get an amen for that? You guys have your hands in so much. And let me tell you, because Joe would always tell us this in chapel back in the day when we first started at SUM, you will never be more busy than you are right now. So if you think to yourself, man, if I just did SUM like five years from now, no, 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 any amount of time further than where you are today is only going to be busier. So just get that out of your mind. With that said, you have your hands in a lot of stuff. There's a lot of information coming your way from your classes, from how you could do things better as a leader, devotionals that we're doing, just the 201 class, all these encouragements, the corrections that you guys get. You're being challenged in discipleship. You're being challenged being an elder deacon, right? So there's a lot of stuff. And when things come up and leaders have to come alongside of you and teach you how to do things a little bit better, I hope that you receive it in love and grace and understand that as your mentors, we're trying to speak life into you, and we're doing it because we love you. We're not doing it to Lord over you. We're not doing it because we think we're better than you. We're linking arms with you. When we see you, I feel that sometimes many of you, all you think is the conversation that maybe we had the last time when we had to rebuke you, and so the next time we see you, that like plays in your mind. Oh, she just rebuked me last time. I wonder what she's thinking about me. Dude, nine times out of ten, I forget. I forget I rebuked you. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking you like, oh, my goodness, you're in church. Awesome. Let's, let's worship Jesus. So don't allow the enemy to heighten every conversation that Lord may have of you or your one-on-one disciple, things that they may have gone over. Now, we're not forgetting in the sense of like we don't remember what God is doing in your life. But I feel that sometimes when you see us the next time in church, that you just like, oh man, she rebuked me last time. She doesn't love me or she thinks less of me. Be free. Look to your neighbor, say be free. Is this setting you free? Am I speaking to your hearts today? Okay. So where do we find our identity and what does it look like? Now, this is not a message that you've never heard before. Joe spent 19 months going through the whole book of Ephesians. We have an album called In Him. We know we've been taught about identity. I just want to be able to bring this to you in a little bit um, different way to be practical for where you are today. And what I'm feeling, a lot of you guys are carrying the weight that you're carrying around and how I just want you to enjoy the journey. The journey is not supposed to be a burden. You remember the, the first message I preached this year for chapel had to do with the works that we do for the Lord at the end will we'll be, all be tested by fire. You guys remember that? That is supposed to be fun. Everything that we do for the Lord, let the journey be fun. And just have in the back of your mind, everything I do right now will be tested by fire one day. How am I doing? But it's not to be a burden. It's not to be something that you can't achieve because God is on our side. So where do we find our identity? Our identity is in him. It is in Christ. It encompasses our salvation by grace through faith and the good works prepared in advance for us to accomplish. I was trying to figure out how I was going to phrase that because a lot of times you hear that, oh, our identity is only in Christ and we're saved by grace and it doesn't matter the good works we do. We can't separate the good works from our identity. The very fact that we've been saved is the very fact that we can actually do good works. The good works are not who we are. They are what we do because we are in him. We perform and do and act and we be all for the glory of God. And because we have been saved, we want others to be saved. And the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, one of the motivations of that is because we want others to live for Jesus with us, right? So I'm going to read a few verses here. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Part of the passage I just read. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Chosen, royal, holy. Say that to yourself with me, out loud. Chosen, royal, holy. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How can we not do that? How can we be saved and say, oh, well, you know what? My old church just put so much emphasis on doing and this and that, and it's just I don't need to do that anymore. I've been saved by grace, and none of that matters. It does matter. We're going to be held responsible one day. We have been called out of darkness into his life. How can we not accomplish his purposes for our life? How can we stay quiet? How can we remain idle? We can't do it. Genesis 127, continuing on, just understanding our identity. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I don't care what kind of genders they think are happening today. It's mumbo jumbo. It's two, male and female, and we are made in God's image. So whether the world wants to accept it, it's fact. It's absolute truth. You can play whatever make-believe story you want, but... You're going to suffer the consequences. And then 1 Corinthians 12, 27 talks about how we're the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are all of the above because of relationship. And from that relationship that we have in him, in Christ, our actions will come forth. What do you think about when we read John fifteen five? You could go to John 15, When we think about the vine and the branches, what in the world do people who think works don't matter and it's just all about saved by grace? I know my salvation was not earned. I was in sin. I was a sinner on my way to hell, and all I had to do was say, Jesus, I surrendered. And I didn't have to do one good thing to earn my status to be saved. I get that. But now that I am saved, I have a holy fire of God inside of me that I can't keep quiet. And I don't want to do what I did before. If I can't do good works, then what am I going to do? Bad works? I'm going to keep sinning? So if I don't do good works, then how how am I supposed to live? How do we teach people what to do? Works are all the things that we do in ministry. We're winning souls. We're making disciples. You're doing your schoolwork. You're leading life groups. You're coming early. You're staying late, right? Tearing down, setting up. You're being the best employee on your job. You're being responsible, faithful in your marriage, being a great mom and dad, having financial stewardship. Those are awesome things. Those are good things. We, we represent Jesus Christ. How do we diminish the power of God on the cross and, the, and then leave, live defeated? You must be careful, though, not to get the lines crossed, right? We're not saying that we're saved by works. We get that. But we are saved by God to do good works. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed. You have it up there? I'm sorry. I should have waited. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul had a burden on his life. Peter, all of the apostles writing the epistles, strengthening the churches, they had a burden. They didn't say, oh, we, we had it good, man, you know, I got to walk with Jesus for three years on this earth. I don't have to do anything. I'm going to meet him one day. Did, did the disciples die like that? No, they didn't die like that. They all got martyred. They all got martyred. They didn't just say, oh, I'm saved by grace. Whatever, you, y'all figure it out. The reason why we're here today is because of their witness, is because of their hard work. And then Paul, he didn't say, oh, I got my, I got my Damas- road to Damascus encounter. I don't need anybody else to encounter Jesus like that. If God can encounter me in Damascus, let Jesus go to everybody else. No, but he had a call. God encountered Paul on the road to Damascus, and Jesus revealed himself to him because he had a purpose and a destiny, a work prepared in advance for him to accomplish. So how can we stay quiet when we read Philippians? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, we receive it, but we better treasure it. We bred our treasure like somebody who finds a pearl, somebody who finds this greatest treasure, right? We treasure our salvation and we want to work it out with fear and trembling, not fear of man, fear and trembling before the Lord out of great respect and awe and wonder at the works of God. And then who works in us to do it? it says right there, verse 13 For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose verse 10 of ephesians chapter 2 what did it say for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do and then philippians it says god will work it in you to will and to act in order to fulfill the good purpose so are you doing it alone never jesus is always with you he's given you strength he's given you promises he's giving you the the gift of the holy ghost baptized in fire come on because you are a son and daughter of the king of kings you honor and obey him you live to please god he has called you a son he has called you a daughter and because of that you live to follow his commands because you are fearfully and wonderfully made you have a purpose and a destiny a hope and a future because you are seated in heavenly places you can be an overcomer and experience the presence of God wherever you are. In your bedroom, studying for a final, writing a paper, everything. God is with you. Because you have been saved, you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. In closing, I want to talk about a few hindrances. First hindrance, number one, which here I actually have as number two, Um, is sin right we understand sin will be a hindrance to your life if you're struggling with sin you have a pattern of repeated sin hidden sin whatever it is that is going to be a hindrance of you walking in the full identity of God understanding that you've been saved by grace that that is a hindrance that will mess with you and then you won't be, be able to fully accomplish what the work that he has if you're struggling with sin like that, repent and get right. Don't wait for a better time or for more time to remove you from the incident that only makes things worse. And you guys know how we do it. It's like get the junk out the trunk. Go through restoration. And I think a lot of you have that fear of like, because the next thing is going to be fear. So I, fear is sin. I just want to talk about fear separately. If you're struggling with sin, don't think to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be a deacon anymore or, oh, I'm going to have to go back to the one, to the 101. Who cares? Get right with God. It's not about position. It's not about titles. It's about you fulfilling the call of God on your life and living whole, living like who he saved you to be. So break off the chains. You did not come into the church to live a life, a cycle like that. When people embrace restoration, it blesses my soul. Please understand that leaders do not look at uh, people who were once deacons and now they're in restoration. We're not looking at them like, oh, geez, you know, here we go again. Got to go through. No, we're, we're not excited. It is sad. But, dude, do we want you to throw in the towel and leave? Do we want you to just go back and live for the devil? No, we want you to go through restoration. Do it right. Embrace it. Love it. Learn from it. Let Jesus speak to you. And teach you how to do it right in him. Not how to please man better. How to live for him better. Amen? So that's number one. Number 100, obviously that's going to snuff everything out. I mean, you let sin into your world. um, What's the point? I mean, we we were saved to be freed from that. Why go get entangled back in that again? Okay, number two, fear. Now, of course, fear is sin. But I want to touch on this. Because having the spirit of fear and not being free from that is gonna be a hindrance in so many ways. Fear of man, fear of man gives way to a people-pleasing spirit, and you that will wear you out. When you live life like that, there there is a, a fine line there of actually being fake. Okay? There's a fakeness when you live your Christian life pleasing man, because when you're in discipleship with your leader and you have a a man-pleasing spirit, you will only say what they want to hear. And you've been around long enough to to know what your leader wants to hear, and you will not be real. And the reason why you're not real with the leader is because you're not real with God. You can't fear man and please God. You can't fear man and be a people pleaser and fear God at the same time and wanting to please him. Because now the leader, the other person... They're your savior, they're your God, they're your idol, and God's like, uh, hello, I'm, I'm right over here, okay? Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Put your trust in Jesus. I know that you guys honor leadership, and that is the most beautiful thing, and Joe is gonna spend this next season talking about honor, It is a beautiful thing to honor leaders. I'm not saying for you to stop doing that. I'm just saying don't look at us like we're greater than and you're less than. We are all brothers and sisters in the Lord linking arms together. When we see you, we're so thankful that God saved you. We're so thankful and proud that you answered the call. When we see you guys around the church, we're like, man, the soldiers are with us. That's how we see you guys, okay? So don't walk around trying to please us or fearing man in any capacity. John 4:18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. If this is a struggle for you, be made perfect in the love of Jesus. Now, sometimes... You know, people can be fearful of leaders because they're in sin. So if that's the case, you got to confess it. Get it out. Be right. Your primary desire and focus should be to please and honor the Lord. And by doing that, it will have a ripple effect to the people around you. If you're pleasing and fearing God and walking in his path, we're all going to know it. So don't put all your energy trying to, like, Build a name for yourself or get somebody else's attention in the church. If you do it for the audience of one, I promise you, it's going to shine all over your life. If you live to please man, you'll never be able to please God. And you'll eventually be let down every time by the other people. And then you will let everyone down around you because you can't live in a facade forever. Being a people pleaser will wear you down and burn you out. Living to please Jesus brings a refreshment and a fulfillment And when we refresh others, it refreshes us. When we live to please God, it's a refreshment. It's not a burden. We're not in slavery. We are his slaves now, but it's a freedom. It's like weird. It's like we're his slaves, but in freedom. We're in bondage to him, but we're also his co-laborers, right? We want to be on God's side. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's what he does for us. He makes known to us the path of life. He fills us with joy in his presence. People are not your savior. Leaders cannot do that for you. We can't bring you joy like that in in our presence. We're not Jesus. Our responsibility as your leaders is to keep watch over you because we're going to give an account for you one day. And if we don't correct and rebuke and encourage we're going to be held accountable and asked, why? Why didn't we do a better job being your overseer? Why didn't we do a better job sharpening you and drawing you in to be more like Christ in the church? Hebrews 13, 17, you guys know this. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So we do want you to continue to receive from what we have to say. But we don't want you to fear what we have to say because the fact that we are actually coming alongside of you and telling you how you can do things better shows you that we're not fearing you. We're not fearing man. We're fearing God. And if we don't do that to you, then we're going to be in disobedience. If we feared everybody in this church and and Joe didn't preach the way that he did, everything would be out of order. That's why stuff, a lot of stuff in the church is out of order. We would let everything in your life go unchecked. People would be all crazy up in here, gossiping, causing messes, right? We don't do that. We fear God. We want order in the church. And so we want you to walk away from that, understanding that, you know, these leadership moments that you're experiencing is so that we can draw you closer to Jesus. We are not here to meddle in your life or micromanage. We're here to help, to come alongside of you as an older brother and sister. You guys can all stand up. I'm going to close out with this section and then I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture. Another thing that I feel is a hindrance to you guys understanding your identity and, you know, continually walking in your relationship with the Lord as things come your way, is you don't discern the difference between condemnation and conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is a very good thing. But if you struggle with condemnation, I, pro- I feel like if you do struggle with condemnation, a lot of it is because you're not fearing God. Condemnation comes from the enemy. And over every little thing you know, that you do wrong or somebody has to fix, help you fix, you feel condemned and you set up this case against yourself that we don't set up against you and God doesn't even set up against you. Condemnation is not from the Holy Spirit. And what you have to do is ask the Lord to teach you the difference if there is a confusion between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation separates. Conviction pulls you closer. The Bible says that it is the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance. There's a a kindness, there's a love that draws us in. And very often in my prayer time, I say, God, I want to have a high level of a spirit of conviction, not condemnation. Condemnation makes you feel bad. You have a pity patty party for yourself. You feel like you can never make it. I'll never amount to what my leaders want me to amount to. It's self-abasing and it's based in pride. But conviction comes from the Holy Ghost. Conviction says there's a hope in conviction where you know you want to get it right and you want to repent and you know you feel God's presence and you know that he's going to help you get through he's going to help you be better so I want to tie it up by ending in James chapter 2 verse 14 through 18 it's talking about faith and deeds what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them it almost seems like hey if you've been saved by grace through faith but then you don't have any deeds to show it almost seems like you can't be saved can you be? Can you really be? Say, do you have the fruit of salvation? I don't think I even read. Did I even read John fifteen five? I didn't, I didn't read John fifteen five. Can you go there really quick before we finish off in James? We're supposed to bear good fruit. I am the vine; you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do it apart from Him. The being in him is because we've been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, covered with his blood. And now we're supposed to do what? Because we're connected to him. We're supposed to do good works. We're supposed to bear fruit. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. If something's alive and then a dead thing is attached to it, that's going to spoil the whole thing. You put a moldy fruit in a bowl with all healthy fruit, all of the healthy fruit is going to get moldy. God's like, I'm going to cut you off. You better bear good fruit or you're going to be moldy and decrepit and you're just going to be burned up okay let's go back to James 2 because we're supposed to bear good fruit as Christians as believers so what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them go in peace keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs what good is it in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, "You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. And the one who has both, I'm telling you, is greater than the one who just walks around all mopey. I've been saved by grace, and you know, if I can just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth and just live under a little sh- uh, tr- uh, the- in the shade under a tree in heaven, I'll be happy and bring nobody with you." I feel sorry for you if you're going to be in the kingdom talking to a five-year-old girl who was beheaded for her faith, a 10-year-old boy who was eaten by lions because of his faith in Jesus. I want to show something that my faith did on this earth. It changed cities. It transformed nations. I'm not going to sit idly by and just say, oh, Jesus just saved me and that's it. That's selfish. Amen. I'm glad you guys felt that. So our faith and our actions work together as we stand in our identity. Let's pray. Let's just lift up our hands. You guys, thank you. You can take that. Okay, I want you guys to just pray right now, and I want you to talk to Jesus.